Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Okay, so uh, as usual with Patrick, we go into one conversation and just leads into, you know, massive doors blown into whole different conversations. This is Dr. Patrick Grail. Uh, we are going to pick up another point of conversation. Please tune in to the last of uh, the previous part where we talked about Euro and um, war games. Uh, I think we covered that topic, right? I think we're, we're, we're pretty good on that. We, we saw what we got to say. Uh-huh. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, go ahead and read um, Dr. Rail's uh, Ludica blog if you want to uh, hear his more considered th- or listen to his more considered thoughts in long written form. Okay, so we ended on something last time, and I want to pick up that thread: the idea of a history game. Mm-hmm. So, besides like whether games can represent history, now we're talking about what is the essence of a history game. And I've heard it described to me as a way in which a game can present different possibilities for history what's the point of playing a movie what's the point of there being like you know deterministic outcome like you can have like a deterministic outcome kind of at the very end but like there needs to be agency inside the gaming space to imagine different possibilities so like i want let's drill into that let's let's drill into you know history history games as fields for imagining different possibilities of outcomes in history Games engage history in a unique way, a way that is distinct from the way other forms engage history. Right? You watch a history movie, whether it's a, a corny one or a serious one, it, you're going to watch it unfold. It's designed to be told in sequence. There are movies that chop up that sequence and do backstories and stuff like that, but you watch it all in this linear fashion. There's, it's never going to change. You watch it a hundred times, it's always going to be the same. Same thing with a novel or many other ways that history is represented. Games are distinct. The thing that defines them as games is that the outcomes can change, that there is player agency that can impact the course of the narrative that is unfolding on the table. That's what makes games games, or a large part of it anyway. And that's what makes them such powerful representers of history. There was an interesting comment on uh, the Board Game Geek discussion uh, around uh, your Puerto Rico re-release. And... It was the point was the case was made that uh, G. Jason, the Puerto Rico 1543 is is more accurate than Puerto Rico 1897 because Puerto Rico 1897 is about a counterfactual is a what if kind of scenario. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting question that deserves to be to be spoken to in some way. Right. Uh, Here's what, what my response would be. Puerto Rico 1543 makes no makes very few actual claims about the past. It, the, it, the, the threshold for it is very low. It has set a very, very low bar of historicity. There is exactly one sentence on that original game box that actually situates that game in history. It is a gesture toward history. Mm. And that sense, is, I guess it's hard to get wrong, right? I mean, <laughs> right. When, when the claim is so small, you know, there's not a whole lot to argue with, I guess. Puerto Rico, 1897, is much, much more deeply engaged in history. The only reason why it exists is to is, is to be is to comment on the history. And in that sense, okay, a counterfactual. This was the claim that was made in Board Game Geek: is that the counterfactual makes it less accurate in some yes. fashion the right. original. I, I mean, I think accurate is probably the wrong 
phrase even to think about. Well, the, which, the word was or, fake. Like, I mean, we're talking about real history versus fake history. Let's just go. Let's just go for it. Right. So, you know, the the counterfactual history is real history. That's kind of the point of this. Mm. That and, and that to engage in counterfactual history is actually to engage historical thinking, historical methods, and skills much, much more deeply than what Puerto Rico 1543 ever tries to do. Counterfactual history is serious history. Mm. And this is why all history is explicitly or implicitly counterfactual. You cannot do history, I would contend, without engaging at some level in counterfactual thinking, Mm -hmm. right? So, and this is something that games taught me that I did not know before I got into history games, right? The the classic thing among professional historians is that um, counterfactual history, what if history is sort of parlor games, right? This guy, E.L. Carr, who's a great Marxist historian, sort of, it's just a parlor trick, you know? But that's not true. Counterfactual history is built into every historical claim worth making. If you say, gee, Andrew Johnson really messed up Reconstruction, it would have been much better if Lincoln had lived, you're engaging in counterfactual thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Which is something every single student would ask in a history class. Or, yeah, if you're saying, oh, gee, you know, the New Deal screwed up America, it would have been better if Republicans had held on to power in the 1930s. You're probably wrong, but you're making a counterfactual claim. Every relative comparison, every any time you are imagining what happened with what might have happened, which is the only way to evaluate what happened, you are engaging in counterfactual history. Mm. So counterfactual history is history. And there's another level to it that I'm thinking about. It's like is the historical actor. So like you go to like, you know, the FDR, right? So FDR had choices. FDR, you know, in terms of making the New Deal, he he literally, I guess you would call it gamed out multiple strategies for, okay, what should I pass? When should I pass it? What's the sequence of passing it? Uh, you know, what if I insist on this particular provision that would piss off the Southern Democrats? And, you know, there's all these things that were real to him in the time period and so because it's real to him, even if it didn't happen in reality, it was a, it was real in the person and it drove that person's decisions to make what happened happen. So like what games do is they make they put people in the mindset of that historical actor. Right. 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 And, right. and they're engaged in a counterfactual. So like we need to engage there, too. If we're going to do the history. That's right. Right. The historical actor had this array of choices in front of them. Uh, what did they choose? How did that play out? Why did they try to try to choose it? But the interesting thing about history games that engage this, which is all of them, interesting thing is that you can't present FDR in a history game with all the choices in front of him. You wouldn't want to because being right. FDR it's was hard. It's overwhelming. <laughs> really overwhelming. So what designers do then, what creators do is they decide what slice of that experience are we really interested in exploring? Are we really interested in exploring the way FDR had to contend with the overwhelmingly racist Southern Democrats who were such a key part of his party? Mm -hmm. Or are we interested in the way he was dealing with the threat from the left, from Wallace and and communists and socialists? Um, uh, are we interested in the way that people reacted to the New Deal or the cultural production of the New Deal? There's all kinds of ways that you can inflect these games to 
create experiences that you want to actually simulate. So here's, here's an example. Um, uh, Founding Fathers is a game by Jolly Rogers Games. And it's about um, the creation of the Constitution. And it's a really neat little game. I use it with my students. And, um, you know, you go in and you have debates and you have votes and stuff. And you basically formulate a Constitution, right? All the big questions, of the Constitution, representation, small states versus big states, all these things, you can sort of formulate your own Constitution. But it's, it produces weird results. It produces Madison being an anti-federalist sometimes, like mm -hmm. things that don't make historical sense. And so I'm thinking about this. Well, if it's not interested in producing a real, a real constitution, if it's not interested in doing that, what is it interested in doing it? What is it interested in doing? And I think what, it's, what you get in that game, the victory points are like prestige points. It's about being a great man. It is literally great man history. It is not about the actual formulation of the constitution. It is about the founding fathers as great men who impacted our country in this way. Right. So just an example of the way that the same topic can be inflected in different ways, in which say very important things about the interpretation of history they're interested in. Okay. So, uh, I mean, this is all good. And people who are into historical games are kind of like vibing and everything. And I think what, what will make this conversation real is talk about bad, history games and what makes them bad history games. And my contention that a lot of the Euros that are out there, uh, I, I don't want to pick on anybody. I don't want to pick on your know, designers or whatever it is, but like the people who, for whom the uh, priority is mechanism and they're using the history as like a, a, a heuristic trap, a heuristic to make, help them learn the game. And it's a secondary consideration. So like, there's a lot of designers that will kind of fall into that trap. What my contention yep. is that generates bad history. And, and it, it, it generates kind of almost like dangerous history because it's, it's pumping out these propagandistic, you know, hierarchy enforcing messages. Okay, so what makes a, a history game bad? So what we just talked about is all the counterfactuals. And, you know, Patrick was very eloquent in terms of, you know, a, a good history game needs to play out the counterfactuals and make put the player in a position where they're internalizing and in in and like actualizing which counterfactual they want to engage in that's what a good history game does a bad history game bakes in one argument about history or bakes in one perspective and there is no way to make that different it, it, like it's basically history on a train so why is puerto rico 1543 bad history because is one perspective the merchant and there's only one thing that the merchant can do, which is build the island. So the only question is which merchant won. But it's a false historical question because he's a fake merchant anyway. So, so it's like, there, it's yeah. basically, you know, which of the same person is going to win. So it, you can, so I think a person from the outside would say, well, the merchant won. So like, that's history in and of itself. Mm -hmm. But like, why did they win? What did they right. do to win? And what were their obstacles? What were their challenges? This the the old Puerto Rico gave you no equipment to navigate those questions. We just take it for granted. And right. the worst history as a history, I'm, I'm going to talk to a history professor. The 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 worst approach to history is to approach it as inevitable. As exactly. inevitable. Yeah, yeah. So by inevitability here, you're you're saying that the game uh, kind of hardwires in a certain perspective Correct. that doesn't. Okay, so I'm gonna push again uh, constructively. Do it. Uh, do it. Come on, bring it. I, I I can imagine. 
I don't think it's the narrowing of pers- the narrow perspective. I think it is, it is what is what are the bounds of the perspective? What are the bounds of the possible? What are the bounds of what is represented here? That, that's a game. There's a lot of different paths to victory, right? There's a lot of different combos and stuff like that, but they're all constrained within the role of people who are trying to grow stuff right. uh, through labor and right. sell it somewhere, right? That what the game hasn't chosen to do is put that in conversation with uh, other ways that, you know, people might develop their societies or, or you know, something, something like that. So the, 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 I, th- I think the, the, the bad thing there is less about the narrow range of possibility than the defined range. It is defined in a way, even if it's broad or narrow, that certain historical possibilities cannot be explored. Right. Um, so I can imagine a game, uh, yeah, I can imagine games doing doing a better job of that. But I think Euros tend to do, the reason why, I, my bigger concern with Euros is that they're not self-aware about the history that they're exploring, right? What you tend to get more, as you lean toward the war game side is uh, a, a, a more explanation about mm. what this game thinks it is and what it's trying to do. Now, it might not do that. You might have problems with what it's trying to do, all that kind of, but at least you have something to play off of. You are, you are being told something about what the game's interpretation is. When it is left to these sort of vague motifs and tropes that just kind of recall cultural mm-hmm. assumptions, then you can smuggle in all the historical propaganda and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. If that's your view of history, if you want to make a game that is really about exploiting workers, then at least be honest and tell us that you're doing that so that we can engage that straight up. But if you are, you know, the issue with Catan is the same thing that happened in the discussion about the retheme of Puerto Rico is, is, you know, the, the people who are sometimes bad faith interlocutors are like, what? The game's not talking about it. What are you talking about? It's Catan. It's not the real world. It's outer space. Right. It's you know, fiction. It's fiction. <laughs> yeah, it's all just fictional and stuff. And it's like, that's a harder claim to take on. So it's a kind of a cop out. It's an easy yeah. thing to do if you're trying to make a game that has exploitation in it, is to theme it or set it in a way that that, that divorces it from anything that seems real. I, but, so I don't take that seriously. Like I don't, if, if you're coming at me with it's just game energy, then move on. Uh, I, I've, I've answered that question 6,000 times. Go ahead and watch any of my previous videos. The one I take a little bit more seriously, not because it's all that much more insightful, but because I do think there's a larger people, amount of people that feel this way. That like, as a matter of fact, um, so I was working on the Puerto Rico thing uh, and I had it on the table and my brother came. My brother's not a gamer at all. And he's a Puerto Rican guy like me. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling him about it. It's like, okay, this is what's happening on the game. This is what they've hired me to change it. And he looks at me and he says, but it happened. Why are you changing it? It happened. You know, and I'm like, it didn't happen that way. And he's like, we talk about, it. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, and it, I had to kind of like break that down. But like, I, I wanted to focus on that initial reaction. So it's like, well, what will happen? So what's the what's the big deal? It happened. And so like, I think that's, and so I, I take that as instructive because he doesn't, he, he's not a gamer, he doesn't know what, it's right. like, uh, what does this game say to somebody who is just, you, you just look at it, right? And it's like, uh, it, it checks a, a very obvious 25,000 foot box of historical game. Did it happen? Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a historical game now. Right, so, right, right. Because it, it has I, history in it. It has something I recognize from a textbook. So then that's where people have that basic understanding of history game. Right. 
history-ish, right? It right. is a gesture nod toward history without without being serious history. And that seems very innocuous, right? It was a big deal. But that is, in fact, the way, like, thoughtless history is the way we got bad history. And bad history is responsible for a lot, a yeah. lot of bad <laughs> things, right? Right. So we are one of the things, I don't know if you want to speak to the nostalgia motif of yes, some please, of these. please. But, you know, I, I think, the, so the question is, what what is the work that that does? Or why would anyone theme a game like Puerto Rico around Puerto Rico, right? Or what is it, th- that game is a box of mechanics that could have been put in a whole bunch of different themes. What was it about Puerto Rico? And my thought is that it's, it's not about Puerto Rico at all. It's not really about, it's about a generic conception of settlement and exploitation, right? It's about history-ish. It is about, right. it is about you know, it's, the, the referent isn't to actual Puerto Rico and its history. W- what is being called on there by Safe Arth in 1543 is people's vague sense of what history could be, right? And those are very different things yeah, and with um, the purpose of, ma- of comfort with the purpose right, of right. making people feel good exactly exactly so this is the weird and kind of ironic thing about the whole euro games versus war games right war games are like oh, we can't play those anymore because we have families and there's conflict and there's going to be national flags all over the place and that's really you know, uh, you know we don't do that let's go to something safe and back in the <laughs> 90s these were themes that felt right, safe. yeah Given the audience they were working with, given the places that they were going. Right. And just so, so we're not talking about Puerto Rico all the time, I, this is going to be on the one-stop co-op shop. People are like, where's the co-op solo? This applies to games like Teotihuacan. You know, this applies to games. Uh, I mean, any game where you're kind of like hearkening to like the sense of a place, you know, the quest for El Dorado. Sokin, uh, Amun Ra. Right, right, right. You know, there's so many games that, that are in our area or, or that are doing what we're talking about, which is this kind of like, um, this history-ish, nostalgia-ish game that's meant to kind of, um, you know, evoke a, a, a 25,000-foot checkbox sense of history. So what we're trying to say is, okay, that's not what a history game is. That's a game that has history, but a history game is different. A history game helps us explore counterfactuals. A, help, a history game gets us in to the mindset of the historical actors and imagining different possibilities. So like yeah. uh, David Thompson, our, our mutual friend, just released, uh, our, 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 he released a um, uh, the, the fifth Undaunted. I can't believe there's already five of those things. Uh, so Undaunted being like a very low level, um, you know, very accessible. You know, you're speaking about war games being kind of impenetrable, like even like Undaunted, very accessible. Uh, and it was the, the fifth one is the, the ba- uh, Battle of Britain or the, the Britain Skies or something. So it was like, you know, uh, it, the conflict between you know, Britain and Germany during World War II. So like, I imagine in that sim, I might be able to have a different outcome. You know, I might, that I, and, and that would, and I could just engage in that as a fun game. But if I'm like into the history at all, it could give me on a, diff, on a deeper level. I can imagine I something think, different. Yeah. Even if you're not, if you've never read anything about the battle of Britain or seen anything about it, you play that game, you're going to walk away with, you know, one hopes a strong, decent, basic sense of that history. You're going to understand something about the RAF. You're going to understand something about radar. You're going to understand something about the channel and the geography of the place, mm-hmm. all that stuff. The basic narrative will be 
will be sound because it's intended to do that. Whereas in some of these euros, it's, it's, it's not so much, it's not there to do that. And so for, for me, I think it's sort of, a, there's a range or a scale on, on how we engage history. And there's history-ish on the one side, history light, 25,000 feet. And then there is, uh, you move to the other side and, and I think of these as engaging history more seriously, right? Mm -hmm. Engage the, the, the kind of basic methods and skills of history with, with accurate details, with interactions that make sense um, so that you're not misteaching somebody whatever it is you're playing. You might have a perspective and that's right. completely fine. You know, but at least it's clear that you are arguing a particular perspective rather than saying, you know, this is all you need to know about the battle of the Britain. American West cowboys. Enjoy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so like, here's, here's a good example of that. Do you remember that movie wild, wild West with uh, Will, Will Smith and Kevin Klein? It's like from the nineties and it's, it's, uh, I remember the song. Of, the song was super cheesy. <laughs> yeah. Really, you know, kind of cheesy steampunky sort of thing, but Will Smith is in it. He's a cowboy. And I remember when this came out in the nineties and internet forums were ablaze with, you know, black cowboys, there's no Westerns have black cowboys in them. Right. That's ridiculous. And, and so like the complaint was that this movie is inaccurate because previous Western movies didn't feature black cowboys. But of course, the historical reality right. is that there were a lot of black cowboys that African-Americans were really important in the 25 West. 25% of all cowboys are black cowboys. Right. Like so that. the historical reality is here. The, the, the movie version of the West is here, which is horribly racist and, and exclusionary. And mm -hmm. then there's this media form, this one instance that is, is criticized because it not because it doesn't match the history, but because it doesn't match the stereotyped history. Right. And that's the kind of thing that we do too much. Right. And so that brings me to where, why I care. Right. Well, why do I care about this distinction? Why why can't I just let the history-ish games be history-ish games? Right. And and I get that comment a lot. It's like, just like, just just enjoy your game, please. Uh, you know, why, why do you care so much? And so it's like, okay. Um, this, the, the history ish game is erasing certain important, important things. Right. And it's what it's erasing. Not, not only is it erasing like real things, like it erased native Americans and erase all these other things. Uh, it's erasing the struggle of marginalized people. It is erasing the possibility that they could win. Right. So in Puerto Rico, the Brown chips cannot win. That it like that. So I so right now I have so that's why I push back against you in terms of like the limits of Puerto Rico. For me, the Puerto Rico is savagely limited because the only counterfactual I really care about is that could the natives have won? Could the workers mm -hmm. have won? And they did win in Haiti in 1791. Mm -hmm. So like it's not like it's complete out of the pale. Right. Sure. And so it could have happened. And, and there was there was uprisings all up and down the West Indies. And so, and so what happens is when you play these games and they don't allow for the possibility that the workers could win or that the natives can win, then you a you you you, you get the sense that like history is inevitable. So like the, the, I distinguish hard between history happened and history is inevitable. When you erase struggle from a board game, you don't get the message of history happy. You get the message of history is inevitable, and that's false, right? That's right, false. Right, so that's number right. one. So <laughs> that, that, that makes a game bad history. <laughs> so you, when you erase the struggle of 
mid uh, marginalized people, when you erase the struggle of your workers, uh, which and I, I focus on workers because Eurogames, Eurogames have workers are all over the place. Uh, so like when you erase the struggle of those workers, then A, it's, it generates this bad history because it makes the dominance of the larger culture seem inevitable. So that's number one. Number two, a lot of what we would call systemic racism gets erased. A lot of what we would call, I, I have a, a term hierarchy enforcement. So, you know, you're a, a scholar of the antebellum South. So like, imagine a book that only talked about labor in the fields. That's it. That's all right. talked about. So like, as a scholar, you know, that's BS. Why? Because slaves ran away. Slaves slowed down. Slaves were uprised, killed their masters or, or you killed their overseers, all kind of stuff. So the society had to respond mm -hmm. with all of these hierarchy enforcement mechanisms. So like in a plantation thing, it would be, uh, you know, all these rules and discipline and oversight and all and all that kind of stuff. It would be, uh, you know, marshalling, uh, you know, in the antebellum South, it would be marshalling the, the poor white populace and militarizing them and giving them guns, taking the guns away from these other people, not letting them marry, and, you know, whipping the white, whipping the white person only when they did something that benefited the black people at no time else. Uh, just like are these you, little- Are you gonna take this idea to Aaliyah? <laughs> <laughs> oh no okay so i'm going to tell you what i did with lee in a minute um okay so but what i'm saying is like bad like bad history erases the struggle which erases all of that hierarchy enforcement mechanism that was historical like why do they need slave codes why do they need all these you know uh the, these things that governed movement and governed people like these are historical too so when you erase the struggle you erase this other history and you're left with the thing itself so here's the here's, here, here's the question. Cause, cause, so the, the, the pushback to that would be you can't do everything, right? So like uh, this is what happens with movies, right? Well, they chose this because they 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 couldn't they couldn't do everything, right? Uh, and it's true. No no creation is going to be able to cover all the terrain. There's always going to be picking and choosing. It's completely legitimate though to say to critique what you chose or didn't choose to put mm -hmm. in there. Right? If you can't put it all in there, why then was this chosen and not, and not that? You know, that's one, one critical thing. For me, the, the crime of a game about, you know, that doesn't show the resistance of the workers and stuff like that is partly that, yeah, it's not covering the whole field, but not everything can be covered. For me, the issue there is that it's it's omitting good history, right? If you are presenting something without saying, if you're saying, well, if you're not even acknowledging that slavery is in your game, you are doing violence to history. You are doing violence to the historical process itself. If you are saying, if you are saying that these are the values that we should be thinking about conquest, exploration, if we should be mm -hmm. thinking about history in terms of European nations taking over everything um, without anything else, and you're doing that uncritically, if, if, you, if you don't even have words to explain what you are doing, as is the case of the original Puerto Rico, you are smuggling in those values. You're smuggling in that bad approach to history. Good history is self-aware. Good history is able to think about its argument, to, to be able to engage others in what that argument is. But you can't do that if you don't even explain what your history is. Right. That's the danger to me. That's when, thing, when these historical stereotypes get smuggled in, you know, that the oppressed didn't resist, that they had no agency, that they weren't even there. 
um, you know, if someone wants to make that case straight out, hey, man, bring it on. I'm more than happy to take you on in a, in a fair discussion. Right. What is troublesome is, is how that gets smuggled in surreptitiously. So it starts becoming part of our historical consciousness mm-hmm. without even realizing that it is. Mm-hmm. That's the real problem part. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, that's the danger of nostalgia, right? Nostalgia seems like such a, well, it's nostalgia. It's great, it right? It gets it's rid like, of the, the, the edges. It's, it's moving. Yeah. Right. But nostalgia can be extremely dangerous, right? And nostalgia, that sense of, of here's an imagined history that is comforting to us. Um, it doesn't, it's not always bad. It can be, it can be benign, but there are many instances in which it's been deployed for very nefarious political purposes, right? If you think about what happened in the Jim Crow South in the 1890s and early you know, 20th century, disfranchisement, segregation, extrajudicial violence, lynching, and things like this, this is all predicated on a notion of nostalgia, that there was some lost world of, of racial harmony that was hierarchical that we're losing and with it comes mm-hmm. civilization, right? Once you start thinking about nostalgia in those kinds of terms, once you, as something you have to, that was lost, that someone took from you, that you have to recover, all bets are off. All the rules can be broken. That's what happened with the Klan in the Jim Crow mm-hmm. South happened in uh, with uh, uh, Mussolini and fascism in Italy. It's what happened with National Socialism in mm-hmm. Germany. Imaginations of a nostalgicized, idealized past were used, were deployed for authoritarian purposes. Right. And so that sense, I mean, you're playing, talk about that sense of a loss, right? And the possibility, well, so in what you're, so the examples you're describing, they experienced as, okay, we already lost it and we got to get it back. So right. what, I'm talking about in a game is very related. It's like if you're in a powerful person, so because games always put us in the shoes of the powerful. Like, what do you do if you genuinely think you can lose? And how hard will you fight to keep what you got? So, you know, so if I'm a, a, a you know, so to use like the, the I, I don't want to go to this well because I know it could be very traumatizing. I just want to articulate because games are here, you know, so we have to, you know, do the best we can with it. So like if I'm in the realm, if I'm in the mindset of an overseer and if I'm in, if I'm there and I know I can't lose, then I'm not going to bother with slave codes. I'm not going to bother with discipline. I'm not going to like if I if I'm winning, then why bother? Right. right but right. but if That's I can cool. lose, and you know, the again, revolution in Haiti was a, an example of the 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 marginalized winning, and the entire world, America, Europe, they got the message. They're like, oh, okay, we can't let this happen again. And so they instituted all sorts of, and you could see it. You could see the level of slave revolt happening, like everything kind of rose up. You, you know, you had more slave revolts in the, the South, like near Haiti. You had, you know, in the West Indies, and you had all these like way over the top repressive, you know, marshaling of resources in order to, to kind of, you know, keep Haiti as the exception. Right. And so now we've we, so the, the, the that was so successful that we now think of it as the exception where it really could it, it, it is a possible a possible world where it wasn't the exception It's a possible world that where that's that could have started a whole firestorm. So that's where uh, I want history games to be. So uh, to, to go to your example of like what games you, you can't see everything or, you know, what um, what can games handle? So my thing and I talked about this when I'm a cultural control with people, I want your game to do these three things. That's it. What I want your game to do is to show the act itself, show and and the, your games already do that. You know the, the the worker working or whatever it is, show that the worker doesn't want to be there, <laughs> show that they have some kind of ability to you know uh, resist, and you could do that easily, right? So let's say I'm uh, I'll use an example, not Puerto Rico, so I'll just go another one. Theo Tiwaka, right? 
Uh, have you played Teotihuacan? I have it. Okay, so it's the one, I, and I know that one pretty good. I actually like that game, so it's unfortunate, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, so you're building like a, a, you know, ye old nostalgic, you know, temple of uh, whatever Aztec temple. Uh, and you have workers and the workers are going around the board kind of Rondell style. And the workers are dice. So like, as they go mm -hmm. around the board, they, you kind of tip them down. So like, they've already baked in this idea of fatigue. Workers get fatigued and like, you have to kind of regenerate them with, you know, giving them another resource. They could, they pip back up to a six, you could run around again. So imagine if the worker wasn't happy. <laughs> imagine if the worker had a chance to escape. Yeah. What if the worker, like if you let it get down to you know at two low levels or if they're kind of with let's say you have a bunch of twos together like they're kind of raising class consciousness and speaking like there's a chance not only that they disappear but that they rebel and take your stuff like all of a sudden you have less resources like that's all you have to do like that's not that complicated right that in order to in order to model struggle like it's not that complicated to model struggle so that's number i'm just gonna finish my third uh, i'll finish my third so then <laughs> so then my third thing that i would want in a game is a repression mechanism, mm -hmm. right? So like that could be accomplished easily too. So like if you're, you know, if you're playing with Tiwakan, like, you know, you would go on a space, right? And that space has like a big O on it. If you wanted to get like really nasty about it, have like, you know, some kind of discipline thing like a chain or a whip or whatever, but like whatever. And, you know, it's, it's a discipline mechanism. So it's like you go on that space and now the workers can't rebel for that round. Now the workers, you know, um, they're tired and they're still like fatigued or maybe they even get more fatigued, but they can't escape, right? Mm -hmm. Or you could just have a separate track. Like I'm going to just put, you know, put resources into this overseer track. The higher the track, the less of a chance that this, the worker has to rebel. I've gamified all these things. I've made them simple. Yeah. Question is, we asked this question in the last show, I'll ask the question in this show. Would anybody buy this game? Right, right. That's exactly where I, where I would have gone. Right? <laughs> I think you're totally right about the about the working thing. There's no reason why Euro mechanics and Euro play values can't do that work, right? Uh, fresco comes to mind. I, I uh, it's been a while since I played, but I think there you've got these people who are working on these paintings, and it matters whether they're morning or night. They get tired, all that kind of stuff. So that the workers are animated, you know, in a way, and they have a their own sense of of, of agency in a way. But I think you're right. Like, so when we think about these difficult histories and modeling them in games, it's like, okay, we can definitely steer closer sure. toward mm -hmm. representing horrible history in, in, in defensible ways. The question is, is that what we want to do when, when we play? Mm -hmm. And that is a real tough one, right? And this works with other kinds of entertainment media, like historical fiction or films or stuff like that. I mean, there are certain, certain, certain films that I, I, I watch because they're important, um, but I don't find them entertaining in the least. Like 12 Years a Slave, I, no. I, I could only think it through. <laughs> right. I mean, watching that movie is not, you don't watch for entertainment. It goes as an act of civic reverence, right? You do it because you're supposed to. And, you know, I play games because I want to have fun. And I, I, I don't know that I would play uh, a game for fun. The worker discipline game. Yeah, you're not going to play games yeah. like that, yeah. If I now, if I was, if, if I became, if the protagonist, if I as the player protagonist became one of those people who was, who was trying to become free or expand their liberty or something, I would be very interested in playing that. You know, oh, uh, you know, the um, uh, who's the fellow who's coming out with the um, uh, Haitian Revolution game, Damon. Um, From the Zenobia Awards, yeah. 
Yeah, from the Zenobia Awards. I'm really looking looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Scout Pond's game on the Rising Waters on the Mississippi Flood of 1827. Those are you know, you are the player protagonists who are African-Americans who are trying to struggle uh, in that in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, in, you know, I, I think when we want to play serious games, that becomes a possibility. Most of the time we're interested in engaging history in, in, in lighter ways. So I, I think that is mm-hmm. a, a challenge for branding. So then you had told me, and I didn't forget it. So I wanted to, I'm ready to, I'm ready to get back now. Like, what does Aaliyah think of all this? Right. Uh, so then I had a choice and this was before I made this choice before I, even, I spoke with them. Uh, so I, I could, cause I, I thought of this like three point thing. It's like, okay, the act itself, the rebellion and the repression. So like that you, like you, I, I decided very early, if you're going to do anything in the, in this space, you have to have all three of these gamified or zero, three or zero. So they don't want the three. They never wanted the three. Andre Sifa didn't want it. Leia didn't want it. These are conversations. You notice they're not participating in the conversations. You know, if they meant it, they would be participating in the conversation. So this is against folks who think, oh, well, you know, this is an opportunity, but, you know, by keeping Puerto Rico the way it is, we could have good conversations. Well, it's like, well, the designers don't want to participate in the conversation. That's just everything you need to know about the validity of that conversation. They're, they're, they're not, they're like, oh, whoa, I didn't mean that. So like that, so they're stepping away from this. So it's like, no, this is not a conversation you don't want to have. So because it only had the one part, it only had the act, it didn't have the other two things that really put people in a historical kind of factual. So my choice is three or zero. So I chose zero. You know, I don't want that at all. I don't want, I, I didn't want power dynamic at all. So how do I do that by keeping it historical? <laughs> that was a trick. And so what I ended up doing was A, changing the perspective I, I found a perspective that was erased and I highlighted it. So like the Puerto Rican farmer or whatever it is. And B, I said to myself, you know what? If this game's going to be a history game, I'm going to lean into the counterfactual. I'm going to imagine a world based in history that engages the counterfactual of what if there was, you know, no meaningful, you know, uh, what you call a colonization right. here. Like yeah. I, someone, someone had a really great comment. It's like, okay, this game can't stay in 1898 because it's about farming. And if a game is about farming, it necessarily happens over multiple years. So it is not believable that this game just stays in 1898. I'm like, good job, sir. <laughs> well, way to think about your theme. I really appreciate that. And I told, and I, I responded. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. And so I am playing in a counterfactual. Does that mean it's a fake? And I'll go back to your eloquent you know, statement before. Counterfactuals are valid ways of uh, doing history. As a matter of fact, you're not doing a history game right if you're not engaging in counterfactuals. And it's completely legit to like, so that sort of moment where it's like, oh, well, how can it be one year if it's, you know, multiple seasons? <laughs> Look, fictionalized forms of history do this all the time. They compress action, they concentrate it in characters. Uh, games do this all the time. If you play a RAF fighter game, you're not going to have every individual plane out there. They're going to be concentrated and abstracted into sets and this kind of stuff that's completely legit across the board for any entertainment form that is going to represent history. I think the powerful thing that I'm hearing and what you're saying is the focus on player protagonist, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Are you? For entertainment purposes, I don't want to be the slave owner who has, and it's a better history game if I have to discipline my workers, but I don't want to be that guy. So how, what this means is profound. It means let's, instead of searching history for the stories of rich and powerful people who exploited, 
where are the stories of player protagonists we can mm. identify? Mm. I promise you, mm-hmm. there's drama, narrative power in those stories as well. We're just not as used to them. We're just not as conditioned to them. Uh, uh, Dr. L has got me with my little happy face on. If you watch, if you're only listening to podcast, you got to watch the video show. Watch me do my little happy dance. <laughs> This is joy, people. I mean, I know these are difficult conversations. I know it's kind of can be very grating and frustrating sometimes. Like I just want to play. At the end of the day, I mean, we're we're the work is to try to get gaming to a place where as many people can play as possible. Right. And so the idea being that, like, you know, certain history games are difficult. They should be clearly labeled. And, you know, I I am ready for this now. So like 12 years of slave, you know what you're getting into. It's very difficult. It's there. So like you have that if it's there. And if you don't want it and you just want to have a good time, then there's these other things for you, too. And I guess like that's what we're trying to do here. And it doesn't sound like that because it sounds like we're making a bunch of noise. But gaming isn't there now. So we're trying to get there. Well, look, it, it, it matters. Anyone who says, eh, just, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, if it doesn't matter, then why the fuss, right? right. <laughs> Imagine a time 10 years from now when, so uh, if you played games from the 95 to 2005, you're going to be drenched in those themes. All those latent messages about history and how history works and what it is are going to be driven into you. If you play those games as a teen or young person, you know, those are, those historical images are going to be packed away in your mind somewhere. And, you know, maybe you'll be critical enough to think about them. If you think about the same decade when the default games are not, you know, what do they call them? Forex, you know, Mm -hmm. exploration, exploitation games. Those games are Spirit Island. Those games are games where the, you know, somebody's first board game is Mm -hmm. the Haitian Revolution or something. If, if you are steeped in that market, then those are the messages you will get. And there's no loss in play value, dramatic value, anything like that. Absolutely. So uh, this was completely impromptu. This was not on the docket at all, but I think we hit a lot of great points. What do you think, Dr. Rao? I am totally psyched about this. Love this. I love it. (laughs) All right. So that will be our impromptu two-parter. Thank you very much for joining uh, Dr. Rao. Where can new people find you? Ludica blog on Board Game Geek, L-U-D-I-C-A. If you just Google that and Patrick Rail, you will find it. Thanks so much. If you change your mind, you change the world, people. So until next time. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another top five list.